0: Welcome to 3, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy. Roger Federer took to all social media accounts earlier this week and had this to say.
1: Hey, everybody. It's uh, Roger here. I hope you're doing well. Uh, listen, I just wanted to update you or give you a bit of an update. What's been going on since Wimbledon, as you can imagine, it's not been simple Um, i've been doing a lot of checks with the doctors as well on my knee getting all the information as i hurt myself further during the grass court season and wimbledon and it's just not the way to go forward so unfortunately they told me for the medium to long term uh, to feel better i will need to will need surgery so i decided to do it i'll be on crutches for for many weeks and then also uh, out of the game for many months so it's going to be Difficult, of course, in some ways, but at the same time, uh, I know it's the right thing to do because I want to be healthy. I want to be running around later as well again. And I want to give myself um, a glimmer of hope also to return to the tour in some shape or form. Um, I am realistic, don't get me wrong. I know how difficult it is at this age right now to, to do another surgery and, um, and try it. But uh, look, um, I want to be healthy and uh, I'll go through the rehab process. I think also with the goal. Um, while I'm still active, which I think is going to help me during this, uh, this long period of time.
0: Of course, it's, uh, sad news and bad news for, for Federer as he will undergo a third knee operation and, uh, will not be playing tennis for a couple of months in an attempt to recover, uh, from it. But he has obviously left the door open for a return to competitive tennis at the highest level. Um, Amy, what was your reaction to Federer's, uh, announcement?
2: Not surprised. I have to admit that my curiosity has really um, come to the front regarding Roger, because I don't think you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think anyone knows exactly what the knee problem is. Is it anterior cruciate? Is it medial collateral. Does it have something to do with the kneecap and Roger is under no obligation to tell anyone. That's his business and that's private. It's just because I've covered a lot of other sports and I I have seen different knee injuries and, and, and things. I just would love to know what it is that he's dealing with so that I could, as a fan and a journalist, kind of understand the road that lies ahead. But um that being said, as as we guys as we three have always said, Roger can do whatever he wants and he can do it on his own timetable. So um I'm actually encouraged that he he has not retired and and said that he's hanging it up. He's still leaving the door open.
3: yeah I'm uh, I was not surprised that he pulled out of the US open. I mean I think we we a lot of people anticipated that I know I didn't I think we all did that. He wasn't going to play the U S open once he decided he was not going to play any North American hardcore tournaments, but uh, having another surgery, that's interesting. Yeah. And i I don't even know which knee. I, I don't think we saw which knee he said he needs surgery. I think it's the right. Okay. Well, okay. So, yeah. so, but the extent, obviously, yeah, the more we knew what was going on, the more, then of course, then we could conject, Oh, that's the type of surgery that's going to take you out this long. But, but when he said months, and he's going to be on crutches. I mean, it sounds significant. Now, again, I'm glad he hasn't said that he's ending it. But uh, yeah, it's sad. It's sad though because it's most. It's so much fun to watch him play.
0: And I think the the hope, of course, I think we discussed this uh, before. But you know, you would like to see in an ideal world that, however. Roger Federer's career and, you know, anyone's career for that matter, however it ends, it doesn't end because a body part completely fails on them. I mean, that is that is obviously in terms of satisfaction, you know, as as far as sa- satisfying endings go, that is the least satisfying ending that that there could be. And we'll just have to see how Federer manages it. But it's going to be a while until we uh, we, you know, can we'll know or, or we will see clearly what the possibilities are. But going back to the actual knee injury itself, uh, yeah, it, it does It does seem like we don't really know much about it. But I think what is clear is whatever happened initially was not expected to be this much of an issue. And I just want to harken back just for overall context. When he played Djokovic 2020 Australian Open semifinals, clearly there was something wrong with him physically. And he loses that match and says, okay, I got to take some time off. I'm injured. See ya at Wimbledon. See ya at Wimbledon 2020. Now, there was no Wimbledon 2020. That didn't happen. But the amount of time that went by until he was ready to play after what would have been Wimbledon 2020 was immense. It was double how long it took him to actually come back. There have been setbacks, and there just continues to be over and over again these kind of unexpected setbacks, and that is what's been so hard about this injury whatever whatever the problem is
3: well he's very smart about managing his body he's also very discreet and his whole career has been that way I mean we know the whole nugget about him not having retired and the, but the way he manages his time and his energy and not letting partially out of respect for the game to not say all that's going on but partially I think just to maintain his own managing I mean we talk about we hear the term words oh going out on terms well you know what it is mostly the body i mean you look at the history of the sport it's a sport the physical activity and it pretty much is the body even like someone like pete sampras it was the body not wanting to put in the work to get the body ready to compete so it will be something like that what i think yeah we're all wanting just get one more more roger more roger because again he's so beloved and People so like watching him play and bring so much to the sport. So again, we'll have to, again, we'll have to see.
0: If you read Andre Agassi's book, Open, it's a really good insight into what the end of your career could be like. And when he was playing that, that U.S. Open, was it 2006, Joel? Yes. Um, He was taking cortisone shots before stepping onto the court almost every single round. I mean, it's a, a brutal illustration of, of what, what he needs to go through and what a lot of players need to go through uh when when the body fails
3: well what they choose to go through yes they don't need to if they wish to. that's a good point that's a good point agassi announced i believe it was just before wimbledon 06 he said okay this will be my summer and so he created this this short summer of farewell and then he did so at the u.s open other people stefan edberg made a whole year of it which he regretted um other people they do it at different times in, in different ways. And again, we're kind of intrigued to see. It will happen with Roger. It will be intrigued to see how it goes. But again, last time we talked about him, well, not playing these North American events, maybe he'll preside at the Labor Cup, play doubles. Now I'm wondering how he's going to even, will he be at the Labor Cup even?
0: How yeah. that Yeah. Amy, are you surprised that he has not retired because of this third operation?
2: No, he is the consummate competitor and he loves to play tennis he loves to strike that ball he loves to move around the court why would he just say "Ah, i'm good you know i'm done with all this um he loves to travel the world he loves to be around fans so i can totally see him saying, you know, I don't care if nobody's ever done this before, come back from three knee surgeries in in professional tennis at age 40, Um, I'm just going to see what happens and and give it a spin. The one little subtext that I can kind of read from all this is that he has no clue what's going to happen next, just like we don't. He's gotta go through the surgery and just see. So there was an article, I think, in USA Today yesterday that said Roger Federer's career is almost certainly over. I don't know how that guy knows that any yeah. more than Roger Federer does.
3: Well, that's right. That and that that's one of my um right, he's this guy's doing his outcoming so he can tell us something and make his call. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, you're, I like the way you said it. We don't know. We don't know how the body's going to react this surgery. And yeah, he he's had these three, and don't forget the one he had in twenty sixteen. So he's having he's going to have had four, and we'll just have to see. And it's it's mysterious. I mean, him Paganini. This is where the the whole role of Paganini in the physio group is so fascinating. We'll
0: yeah, yeah, and and we we're going to talk about Feder and and his team at some point in a future episode. Now I think Federer is in the same spot that Andy Murray was in. Now, Murray approached it in terms of his communication a little bit differently, where he basically said, look, I'm probably retired and let's see what happens. And then he what when he came back, it kind of felt like an unretirement. And uh, I, I guess, again, it's just a matter of messaging. But I think Federer might be in a similar situation where it's not not that he's probably retired, but it's a look, I'm about to go through uh, a pretty serious operation and I don't know what this is going to be like. Um, so we'll just have to to wait back and see, but I think he's in pretty much the same spot that, that Murray was in with the hip surgery.
2: That's well, a- remember when, when uh, they played the retrospective video of Andy Murray at some tournament
1: I, yeah. and then,
2: and then Murray was later like, why'd you play that, that retrospective video, I never said I was gonna retire. So I think what Roger is saying is don't play the video yet.
3: Well, that's the joke face. Rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. So uh, I think Murray's thing, I was at that match. Murray's had more in aura though. Murray made a significant announcement before the 2019 Australian Open. And he plays this match with Batista and the nature of the injury and the pain. Now granted, this thing with Roger, we, we don't know the extent of the pain part of it though, it probably seems pretty bad, but he doesn't let on that way. And so we just don't know what it is. And and I like what you said, Gil, about messaging and personalities and how they want people to know things. And Federer is very, very thoughtful about how he manages people's expectations. It's like, and mostly we're saying, I'll let you know. Thank you, you know, yeah. I'll let you know.
0: And I, I think we should end on just the, life outside of tennis part of this, which is that when, and then again, you could go back to Murray. I mean, Andy just wanted to be able to put his socks on without pain. I mean, that was the goal when he had hip resurfacing surgery. And it seems like for Federer rightly. So like he said it in the statement, I want to run around again. Like he wants to play with his kids. Like at the end of the day, like he just needs mobility and pain-free life and living. And that is the the number one goal. After that, tennis is secondary.
2: Yeah, I mean, it starts to become scary um, when you, know, you think that this could be chronic. Um, my brother actually happens to be a surgeon and um, has had knee surgery. So I, I talked to him. I was just on vacation with him. And I said, let's do a ski trip with all the kids, your kids and my kids. And my brother was like, skiing is no longer a part of my life because of my knees and it made me think of federer like he first of all federer loves to ski (laughs) and second secondly like he you're right gil he wants to live life and be active and do all these wonderful things so i'm sure that that is foremost in his mind right now
3: right so he's going to think about things and also remember during this pandemic the traveling, the family, you know, there's a lot of people Roger travels with. So when he's going around the world and his kids and his four kids, the daughters are uh, 12, I forget how old the boys are now, but it's just, you know, it's a different time. So, but however he does it, it's gonna be done in this certain kind of way that we haven't yet seen before. I think when Federer announces he's gonna retire, there's gonna be some kind of packaging. And I mean that as a compliment some way it's going to be orchestrated and all that, that I mean too is a compliment whether it's an event a, a certain thing he's going to do a certain way that the family's involved a certain thing with Tennessee there's some ways it's kind of like this sense like you know Federer it's kind of a, always that's what's been so fun about watching him always something a little a little special beyond you know his whole the whole way he's so interested in getting it right you know I remember that quote he made it's it's nice to be good but it's more important to be nice I forget exactly the quote but just his way of how he wants to regard the game and the world and his fans and take all of that into account
0: yes um i, I do think that however he does this he'll have the fans his fans in mind and because
3: hey maybe i'll have rod labor rod and i have something to share with you all i, I don't even know you know what i mean just something some way that's going to be something kind of other than just like a uh, you know a statement
0: yeah well um We'll see how much Federer is or or is not in the in the public eye, but I'm guessing he's gonna uh, start to get a little bit quiet. Of course, we'll, we'll do our evergreen content from time to time and talk about Federer anyway. Uh, but as far as uh, news goes in the immediate future, let's move on now. And uh, Rafael Nadal uh, and his status to play the U.S. Open also appears to be in a bit of jeopardy. We don't know officially what it is now, but he's pulled out. He pulled out of Toronto. He pulled out of the Western and Southern Open in Cincinnati. And now it's about, um, you know, is my is my foot going to be right? Is it going to be ready? Uh, Come time for the U.S. Open. um, You know, I I think that there are a couple of different places for concern here. But but, Joel, how do you look at at Nadal and, and where he's at right now heading into New York?
3: Wow, that kind of uh, worries me. I mean, he had he had the he had this big plan, he had this great plan of what his North American summer was gonna be. He was gonna play all three of them and go after it. And then he had challenged right away in DC, then he loses his second match and in the injury. I'm I'm concerned about him. I hope because again, he doesn't like to cut corners. He doesn't like to show up for a tournament not having prepared and and not having played much. And he um, didn't play Wimbledon. So I'm concerned about Nadal. I, uh, really I really want to see remember this is a guy who won the US Open two years ago. So I hope he I hope he does feel good enough to give it a go, but I'm just uh, I'm concerned.
2: This is really seems unprecedented that you know, major contenders would not play hardcore warm ups. But then again, these are unprecedented times that we're living in. And um, these guys seem to know what they're doing. Novak, you know, almost always seems to manage everything really well. So I know he's coming off the Olympics where he decided to play doubles and that was controversial, I mean, that one time. But, um, you know, uh, for Rafa, I'm also very concerned. I'm, I'm very concerned because I saw him in pain in DC. So um, hopefully he'll get the rest he needs.
0: Yeah. I I think even if he plays the U S open pain-free after what we saw in Australia this year, you know, there would be, and first of all, that would be great to see for the fans, for Rafa, if he's on the court competing without pain, that would be great. And I'm sure um, it it would still take a a really great effort to, to take him out if anyone managed to do it. Uh, But in Australia, he had the back issues in the lead-up to the tournament. And then, w- once it was time to play the Australian Open, he was no longer feeling back pain. He was completely uh, playing with a with freedom and serving harder and harder with each passing round. But at the end of the day, if your preparation isn't right, at this level, you're just... It's going to be more difficult to play the level that, that you need to, to actually win the event, which is, of course, Nadal's goal at every major championship. So at this point, there's concern that he's not going to play, yes. But then if he does play, it's especially considering how he looked in D.C. He looked like he had work to do on his game. You know, Is he going to be playing at uh, the level that he needs to play if his preparation was compromised?
3: Well, we've known for 20, 15 years that Nadal of these three is the least physically efficient with his technique. So the wear and tear for him, even in in a routine win, is he's taking more out of his tank. So, and then he gets challenged and it's a tough match. And you see the way the whole recovery aspect and his body and the pounding. I mean, the wear and tear on his body and he's 35, I mean... Is significant. So yeah, I guess, I guess this, uh, yeah, really it is interesting to see how, how he's approaching the U S open and, and wonder what he's doing now, how he's recovering. And I'm sure they're looking at different solutions with equipment and the shoes and all sorts of things.
0: I would be fascinated to know how he's dealt with this in the past. Uh, because again, this is not a, a new injury. It it's, it's been a part of, of his tennis career is just managing that foot. It's always given him trouble. And I, I'm not sure exactly. I know that there's things with orthotics and, uh, things he's, he's done in his actual tennis shoe that, that have helped him. But I am curious to know, um, how he's managed this in the past. Again, that's the good news. I think if this was something completely new and completely different, there would be more reason to believe that this could be of long-term concern. But I really think the concern is more short, short term because he's overcome this in the past.
3: Really? So you think that it's because it's a familiar, a familiar ache that, therefore, it's kind of manageable, treatable, mm-hmm. and you move on? I he he still- knows.
0: He knows this beast. He's tamed this beast. Now it. Now time is uh, is part of every healing process, we'll and have that's
3: a why. In ten years, Gil, when you have when you have an injury, you have an injury you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> you'll see. Yeah, you're still a young man. Well, look, I've, like those I've, injuries you think like, wow, this again, here we are my familiar injury and it's, and it's bugging me. It's, it, we, again, this is the thing we don't know with these athletes. How bad is it? Is it, is it, is it even worse? it even worse. The familiar one is getting worse or is it just the, the nagging one?
0: That's true. Uh, how about, how about playing with pain? Quick thing. I'm playing with pain. Let's say this foot hurts a ton, but there's no risk that it gets worse. And, you know, Nadal figures, OK, this will be my last tournament of 2021. So I'll give this a rest after the Open, which, by the way, I, I think it's really likely. I don't think he's playing after the U.S. Open, if I were to guess. Um, but but let's say he he says, OK, let's play this U.S. Open. My foot hurts. I'm just going to tough and grit my way through it. Do, do you think that he can still play at a high level like that, Amy?
2: I don't know that I agree with that supposition. I'm just not sure if something is really, really painful, if it's okay, you know, or that it couldn't get worse. Is that an even possible thing? Like, if you're feeling pretty significant, intense pain, I think your body's trying to tell you, don't do this anymore, or... I will start compensating and something else is going to break down. So I think if he's feeling a pretty significant high level of pain, he should not play.
3: Yeah, I agree with that because I think, so that's kind of like true to the game. That was kind of his, his Wimbledon statement. Like I'm not there. I'm not in the place. And I think, yeah, God, if, if any of us knew that any of the pains in our life, were not going to get worse. Then I guess we could do that, but that—that's why it's pain in a way. Is we don't know. It, it might well get worse. Something else can happen, and and who knows? And the compensating—that's a really good point too, right? How you compensate in other ways, and and, uh, oh, it's just fascinating. You know, it's like it, I wish we knew more about the extent of all of the injuries these guys have had. It's kind of like the mystery around the Novak elbow, that we now, a little
0: bit. It, it is like that. Now the, the reason, the, the way I would back up my claim about the injury not getting worse is to say that uh, he he kept fighting through it against Lloyd Harris in D.C. And I just think, again, there's a familiarity with that injury where I think that if, if Nadal felt like, you know, this was like an abdominal tear that just grows, rips wider and wider, I just don't think he would have kept playing. And then he didn't even, he didn't retire against Jack Sock. He said, I'm going to take the court again uh, instead of pulling out of, of D.C., which he knows pales in comparison to the importance of the U.S. Open.
3: Well, this left foot thing goes back to 05, which he said at the time around that threatened to end his career. Yeah. Career ended and that it didn't turn out to be one. Didn't mean, again, this is, this is where we're in such a whole other, you know, mysterious realm of what do we know about these injuries?
0: Yep. For Novak Djokovic, it's very different. Uh There's a much lower level of concern because it was his decision. And yes, it, it is true that, He cited that a shoulder injury and pulled out of the mixed doubles at at the Olympics. But uh, I don't think there's much reason to believe that there's anything severely wrong with his with his body. I don't think so. And uh, that means that he's training as normal and just made a a decision that was not forced upon him by by his body, but rather just what he thinks is best. But nonetheless, it's a fascinating decision, Joel, because he's going to go into the U.S. Open. Without any North American warm-ups,
3: concern Federer, might he retire? Concerned Rafa will he play the U.S. Open? Concern Novak zero. I don't. I, I think Novak. I think this guy has so masterminded preparation and training and efficiency. And it wasn't in his mind. It wasn't that long ago he won. Uh, he won Wimbledon, Olympics, little foray, Left shoulder, right it's left shoulder. So it's not the one he. It's not. I believe that was the injury that he talked about at the Olympics. So I think I'm not, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not worried about his U.S. Open fine tunedness Yeah, it would have been nice for him to have had three to five matches in Cincinnati or Toronto, maybe better. But again, there's such a way he's so, he's so dialed in on what his game and his tennis is. And at the same time, the contenders, while they're a lot of are very good have yet haven't quite yet, stepped up yet, but this might be, who knows, this could be the time. I mean, Medvedev was very impressive in Toronto, but we're going to see. And Novak has slain. Look who's beaten in the finals this year. He's beaten three. Yeah, he didn't beat. He didn't beat. Uh, It wasn't Federer and Adal. He beat to win, though. I mean, he beat Adal in the French semi, but I mean, in the finals, he beats uh, Medvedev, he beats uh, Tsitsipas, and he beats Berrettini.
2: I think, you know, putting aside the disqualifier that perhaps the abdominal has, has, you know, continued to dog him and we don't know about that or whatever. That's that's quite possible. And then he'll tell us at the end of the year. Yeah, I won the calendar Grand Slam with an abdominal tear or something. Um, I, I'm trying to be a lot more enlightened because mental health is actually very important to me. Um, You know, I'm trying to think now of mental health just on equal par as physical health. So if Novak is taking a break to attend to his mental well-being, that seems every bit as legit as what Rafa is doing. So I'm certainly supportive of it and would love to see him come back totally refreshed and completely dialed in.
3: You know, I'm glad you mentioned mental health because I wonder between the pandemic and mental health and there's this inflection going on with what the tennis life looks like. And again, looking at Federer, Federer is kind of an avatar of longevity and enjoyment of the game. So does the game and whether it's the PTPA or the ATP or the management firms or anything else say,
2: hmm, what,
3: what gets baked into the tennis DNA in this... Do we look at things like scheduling differently? Do we look at things at obligations? Do we look at size of player fields? How does the how does the tennis the, the tennis ship sailing through the ocean figure out its course properly? Because we don't want players. It's not. Is it burn out? Is it burn in? What what's exactly the freshness factor going on? So that's going to be that's a that's a mega trend for tennis to think about. But again, it would be interesting. You know, you could almost see someone like. Feder being this guru of here's how you stay fresh, here's how you build a game, here's how when you're 12 years old you build a game that keeps you eternally interested. We're going to talk in a future thing about uh, the New York Times Christopher Clary's new Feder biography, but a lot of the thing I'm getting from it, and I won't talk too much, is Federer's tremendous interest in lots of parts of the game, the playfulness he brought to it from a very young age. So might that, ha- might that, you know, might that, might be, might that be something? To do with what the tennis life looks like, so we we don't have, so we can stay ahead of mental health.
0: Yeah, it's an it's an awesome point, Amy, and it makes me think about 2016 because after Djokovic won Roland Garros this year, he he explicitly said, "I don't want a repeat of 2016." And what happened that year? Well, yes, there there was this kind of mysterious, as you put it, Joel, elbow injury, and th- there was that. But what was more apparent to all observers was that emotionally Novak became completely flat almost like a void like a void soul on the court he just didn't have his fire and if if 20 if if he's supposed to learn from 2016 and avoid the pitfalls of 2016 and 2021 then this is the move. This is exactly the move to, to take care of the mental health because ultimately it's the mental health that I believe downed Novak that year and, and put him out of, of being able to do what he can do for as long as, as that happens. So in that respect, yeah, it, it makes perfect sense that, that he would just take some time off.
3: So that triggers one of the things that's been discussed before is is, it, is there calendar reform. What are the, what are the demands of players? Are we automatically entered every single Masters Thousand event? Do you get to take? Do you, do you? Can you? Can you not play three? Can you pick? You know. Okay. I mean, how do you? How do you manage time and not just if you're a top five player, but for all the players? And and what does that mean? And what is the? What is the landscape of the tennis circuit look like? And how that spreads to other players and the things? Uh, you know, the the amenities, all those uh, other yeah. things. All those things, right? I mean, it's it's an interesting topic that I think uh, in a big way can be addressed, but also maybe in small ways, it's going to be looked at too.
2: I am okay. a huge advocate of calendar reform, huge. So I think it's either they reform the calendar and not drive their players into the ground or things like points and number one ranking is just going to mean less and less because the top players are going to choose not to play outside much of the slams.
3: Well, how you how the year gets orchestrated. I mean, I think the things we learned from players like Roger, Roger created the kind of like, okay, I'm going to budget for certain sabbaticals in the course of the tennis year. And that's going to be that. And, and how you manage that. And they have the, have these significant three to four week periods where you're not, competing. Now, granted, when you're racking up as many points as a top five player, uh, that's one thing. And then the question is, Hmm, how does this then stay vibrant for the player who needs, who needs those weeks, who needs to play, who wants to get in match time. So that's, that's complicated.
0: Yeah. A lot, a lot of the, a lot of players in the sport are playing every week because every time you don't play, you're losing out on money. And well, uh, like then point, it's
3: like, then how does the sport alter its culture? to not do that because that has its yeah. burnout quality too. That could be, that's physical and mental.
0: Totally, totally got it. Uh, except for the, the one nuance in that is if you lose in the first round, you play a lot less uh, than, than if you make the final, like a Nadal or a Federer, uh or, you know, that, that they're often doing. Um, okay. Last question on Djokovic here. He comes into, he'll come into New York with no warm-up in North America on hard courts. You know, you could, you could look at Tokyo as the warm-up. Um, but essentially, I think it's like coming in cold turkey. That is not too atypical when it comes to the Australian Open, where before the ATP Cup, Djokovic would would often do that, or Wimbledon, where Novak normally doesn't play Holland, normally doesn't play Queens. It's just you, you play Roland Garros and then you play Wimbledon. Is this any different from that?
3: Well, Australia, everyone arrives fresh, so they only they've only had so many innings anyway, even if they played two tournaments, but they played two tournaments. Wimbledon, you kind of were riding the wave of having ground through the clay time of the year and you just played a lot of tennis. It's interesting. Novak's game Novak is such the great game for this homogenous surface era, also. Yep. So I just
2: I just think that, you know, surface is one aspect of this, like you know, are you used to the surface? And can you reacclimate yourself to the surface? That I'm not worried about. Like, he's got that he can quickly he's been on it and off it enough that he can quickly reacclimate just like you said, Gil with Wimbledon. Oh, it's grass again, I got this. But it's the match play for every single player who plays this sport. I don't care if you you know, are a two, five level, or you are the number one player in the world, you need match play to get yourself in match mind. And, and, um, so that will be something that I'll watch, but, you know, maybe he can quickly adjust to that too and play himself into the tournament.
3: Well, then we'll see. Well, first the surfaces, the surface adjustments are way less than they used to be way, way less. So that's a good point. That's good point. And then I guess I think the fun thing to see at the open will be the draw. So if Struff is early
0: <laughs> Our <laughs> the, guy's just, struggling right now. Struff is, Struff's 34. on a losing streak.
3: Oh, we want it Mr. 34, right? That's kind of what we're looking for. It's like, in other words, so the draw, yes. the matchups, that's where the fun part of the fun part about tennis, the matchups will come in. So who's who's Novak's first round and what kind of questions and what's the second round? And so we're really talking about the six sets he plays in the first couple of rounds and how those matter or not matter. And if they are forms of what uh, Martina Navratilova used to use the term batting practice for certain ones, or is it someone that's like, whoa, this guy out of the blue is, is hitting aces, is not even letting Novak play, taking the racket out of his hands. I mean, I I think, I think Djokovic, for example, this summer probably became a good Riley Opelka fan. Yeah. Get yourself into the top 30, get seated in the open, I'm not going to have to see you for two rounds. You know what I mean? Good. I don't want to see you on the day one where I haven't played a North American tournament.
0: It's an Yeah. It's an important point because with the, with the right draw, it doesn't matter that if Djokovic isn't at a hundred percent come the first round, he's still going to get through these matches. Um, and then and he'll have time uh, over the course of the first week of the U S open to, uh, to get better and to, to feel more comfortable on the court. So, Obviously, next week, uh, Novak will uh, arrive in New York and I'm sure begin training and playing some very hard practice sets and and all that good stuff. And uh, we will also be gearing up as Djokovic goes for the Grand Slam in New York. That'll do it for this episode of three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms and we appreciate if you leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, like the video, leave a comment, subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of three.